Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Overcoming Life Podcast. I'm your host, Nishan Garrett. And just as a little bit of news here for you guys, I think I'm going to be switching more over to podcasts just because, well, my TikTok ain't doing so hot right now. And I don't know if it's that I'm doing something different or maybe the father is just like, uh, I don't want you doing that right now. Uh, but for some reason, I'm I'm not getting any type of view or any type of love on there. So um, I think I might be pulling away from that for a little bit and maybe just focusing a little bit more on teaching on, on podcasts. And so uh, if you see me not as active on there, then uh, it's probably why. So we have been talking a little bit about the kingdom of God, guys, specifically talking about Adam and the birthright. And so we're going to be continuing a little bit more about the birthright. I need to show you guys this history so that you have a greater understanding, because um, if we do not understand the birthright, then we do not understand the purpose of Christ's first coming. And we won't understand the purpose of his second coming. And we don't understand in what manner he is acting in the first coming and in the second coming. Um, his second coming isn't just about him coming to rule and reign. There, there, is, there is other prophetic fulfillments that have to be um, accomplished during, during his second coming also, guys. And just as in his first coming, he fulfilled Passover and Pentecost and the wave sheaf offering. Um, and he fulfilled so many other prophecies in scripture, but he has not fulfilled them all. Okay. Um, the one particularly that pertains to us, which is amazing, is that he fulfilled the sacrificial law in which uh, we no longer um, are connected to the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. Or not the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. We're no longer connected to the Old Covenant. We're no longer um, forced to to sacrifice animals for our sins we do the levitical priesthood or the arianic priesthood that no longer applies to us there has been a change of priesthood and there's been an and because there's a change in the law or in the priesthood uh because there is a change in the priesthood there has to be a change in the law right the administration of the law has to change so the law has not been done away with just the way that we approach the law the way in which we obtain grace is different that is what has changed the way in which we keep the law is different it's not the same way as um, the carnal interpretation it's not the same way as we did or as the jews did uh, under the the old testament or under the um, old covenant sorry i keep on getting those two confused probably because they both start with old that being said, guys, we're going to get right into it, and I just want you guys to see this history because it is so imperative that we understand this thing, and um, I think uh, I think it will bring a, a great clarification. So in last episode, we talked about Shem. Shem died when Isaac was under 10. Isaac received the birthright. Isaac uh, passed that birthright on to Jacob, even though he was tricked. Jacob tricked him, okay? Now, Jacob had his own stuff to deal with later on in, uh, and because he tricked him, but... Um, but Jacob, when he gave the birthright, he actually divided it. Okay, so remember that the birthright is made of, of two parts. The first part is the dominion mandate. The second part is the fruitfulness mandate, right? So he divided the birthright into two parts. And he gave the first part to Judah because Judah qualified. Judah was not the firstborn son. Remember that. And, J and Joseph was the twelfthborn son. So... Um, and the reason why that is because Reuben, Simeon, um, and I believe it was Issachar, 
I believe that these ones, they had done some some dirty stuff and they had shown that their hearts weren't really right. And so they did not qualify to receive the birthright. Generally, you would give the birthright to your firstborn son. Um, but Jacob ended up giving it to the fourthborn son, who is Judah. OK, so Judah had the dominion mandate. And basically, when Jacob gave that to him, he said, um, it was only a temporary, you would only have the temper, uh, the birthright for a temporary point of time, okay? There was going to be someone uh, who, who was going to come, and he will receive that, that dominion mandate. And so here's basically Jacob's words. He says, until Shiloh comes, and unto him shall be the obedience of the people. Now, of course, um, we know who that person is. It is Christ himself, right? And Christ um, actually qualified, uh, when he came in his first coming, he qualified to receive the dominion mandate. Why? Because he came from the tribe of Judah, and two, he came from um, the, the seed of David, from the lineage of David. So he qualified to not only be the king, but to receive the, the dominion mandate in which rulership and authority was granted to him. Do you guys understand why now Jesus said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me? Um, and the reason why that is is because in the beginning all authority was given to uh, all authority was given to Adam, right? Mankind, um, specifically Adam as the king. But Jesus, being the true and rightful king, who was obedient to the rules and the will of God, he received it, um, and that was. A part of his glory. Now, just to give you guys a little bit more facts here, remember when Jesus was tempted, um, the the Satan tempted him. He said, "Look, all these things belong to me, uh, and just let me know. I'll give it to you. All these kingdoms, look at it, and I'll, I'll just bow down to me, worship me, and I'll give them to you." But the reality is, is that um, Jesus, if he had done that, then he would have been going against the will of God, right? And by trying to get it from in an unlawful way. He would have um, essentially disqualified himself from from having the kingdom rule. And so instead of bowing down to Satan um, or doing anything that Satan said, Jesus obeyed the will of the father and said, man shall not live on bread alone and said that you should worship the Lord your God only and only shall him shall you serve and only those who are obedient to the will of God. Now, this is I'm I'm I'm. I don't want to say I'm preaching at you right now, but I'm preaching at you right now. Hey, listen, guys, the only way, look, Jesus is our measure. He's our standard. He's our barometer. He is the measuring stick on which we identify ourselves and our lives with in in respect to reward and in respect to, not talking about salvation, in respect to reward and in respect to uh, obedience to God. Now, notice that Jesus was obedient to God, and in his obedience, God glorified him with the same glory that he had uh, before he had come to earth, right? And so, Jesus himself said, the Son can do nothing uh, except what the Father wants him to do, right? The Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise, This is Jesus, right? And so because of this, because Jesus was obedient to the will of God, and he said, not my will be done, but yours, right? Only. That is what the son does. The son only ever seeks to do the will of God. He is in total uh, obedience and in total agreement with the way mind, nature, heart, character of God. Make sense? Now, take yourself 
to those who received Jesus, he gave the right to become sons of God, who were born not of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, nor of blood, but of God. So Jesus has now given us the right to become sons of God. And in our sonship, we are obedient. And the measure with which we are obedient to God is the measure with which we will also receive and rule in the kingdom. You guys understand that? Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, but he is a patterned son, right? And so it's not only Jesus who's going to rule. Um, it's not only Christ um, in, in Jesus, it's not only Christ Jesus who rules, but it is also us who rule with him. Those who qualify uh, to, to, to be in the first resurrection. So that is very important. Do you guys understand when, when we're talking about inheriting the kingdom, we're talking about rulership in the kingdom? Do you understand that it's not just about praying a prayer, raising your hands, going to church, reading your Bible, that that's not what it's about. It's about how you are treating people. It's about how you are living. It talks about your, your internal uh, what's going on on the inside and inside of your heart. It's not just about on the outside. It's not about the miracle signs, wonders, words of prophecy. It's not, none of that really matters. What matters is if you are doing the will of your father in heaven, right? And so that looks different for a lot of people, but I, I feel like we want to make it look like something that it's not. And, um, you know, we want to make it look like something so that we can say for ourselves, yes, I ran my race fully. But really, you're just running somebody else's race who thinks that they have it. And it might be the case that, well, I'm not going to get go too far into it. But it might be the case that, so for example, uh, God gives somebody a revelation. And that revelation is, hey, um, I want you to, to do this. Go lay your hands on the people. Go go prophesy. Go go do these things. And like they take that to heart because God has spoken to them. And because God, they heard God's voice and saying, telling them to do that, they did it. Right. But then we pattern ourselves off of this one guy. Right. And we say, OK, well, that guy looks like he's doing it right. And so we're just going to follow him instead of hearing the voice of God for ourselves. We listen to this guy and we say, well, that's the guy that I'm supposed to follow because he heard God's voice. Right. And now we're thinking that we're doing the kingdom work when really we're actually just following somebody else is doing the kingdom work. And maybe it's the case that God has a different work for us to do. And maybe his will for us is different than it is for that guy. And so what you have is you have these churches, denominations, peoples who say you have to do it like this. And at least the first guy was right and he heard from God, but not everyone else was supposed to fall in line with exactly what he's doing. You guys understand what I'm saying? So it's different for everybody. Like God's will for you may not look the same for them. It might it may not look like you laying hands on people and doing that, even though I believe that that's a part of um, the call and the mission. I don't do that right now. I used to do it, but I don't do it right now um, because I'm I'm just waiting to hear him say you can. That's that's for you to do. Okay, as opposed to me looking at someone being like, oh, that seems kind of cool. I'm a Christian. I should be able to do that too. I'm like waiting on 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 the Lord for it. If that makes sense. I really don't know how I got on that tangent, but all that to say, guys, um, we have to and we must be obedient to the will of God and we must use Jesus as the pattern son, right? And so in receiving the dominion mandate coming from the line of Judah, he is now what is called the head, the head of the body, okay? Now the head uh, needs a body to be the head of, right? And so we, the church, believers, those who believe on Yeshua and follow him, 
right? These are those who are called uh, the body, okay? So let's, let's read a little bit more about this, and we'll find out the role of the body. So understand the role of the head. Jesus Christ himself is the head, right? Now, but the body and the head, they, they will come together, and they rule together as one new man. That's what we have to understand. We have to understand that the body and the head rule together as one new man, okay? So... All right, let's let's go and take a look at this. So remember, um, so remember the Ark of the Covenant and you had the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. And they were set up in a a little town called Ephraim. Okay, now Ephraim was a son of Joseph. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So um, the town of Ephraim, one of the sons of Joseph, was known as Shiloh. Okay, and we see this in Joshua chapter 18, verse one. But Shiloh became corrupted because of the priests that were there from the house of Eli. So the glory of God was taken from Shiloh and it was parked in Jerusalem. But then the people in Jerusalem, the priests were corrupted there. And so it moved right um, from there. But it needed the glory of God needed to find a temporary, uh, a permanent place. Right. It needed to find a permanent place. And so uh, the prophecy of Shiloh is actually fulfilled um, when it has become a body of people, right? And this is the place, Shiloh, is the place where God keeps his glory um, and has become a body of people rather than a physical location on earth. So it's not in Jerusalem. It's not in Sinai. It's not in Horeb. It's not in, uh, it's no, in no, none of these physical places. Uh, the body of people has become Shiloh, the place where God has chosen to put his name. Remember the name is written on their foreheads. And remember that we are the temple of God. So collectively as a corporate body, we are the the people of God, we are the temple of God. So when we have Christ as the head who has the dominion mandate and then we have us, Shiloh, the temple where God has placed his name, we form one new man and we are pictured as the final temple that is built upon the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, and having Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. So, yes, the elements of the birthright were separated by Jacob to Judah and um, Joseph. And Joseph gave his birthright to Ephraim and Manasseh. But they were to be uh, reunited in Christ. He came the first time Jesus, uh, from the tribe of Judah, again, to receive the dominion mandate. In his second coming, he comes as Joseph to qualify as the recipient of the birthright as well. And so in Revelations 19, 13, it is prophesied that he is clothed with a robe that is dipped in blood. Remember who else in the Bible had a, a robe that was dipped in blood? Remember that? It was Joseph. Remember when his brothers sold him into slavery and they dipped his blood in, in uh, his, his robe of many colors and blood? That is why he's dipped in blood, because he identifies with Joseph in his second coming. And that was seen in Genesis chapter 37, verse 31. The second coming is extremely, extremely important because it completes the work that was done in his first appearance. Many people out there think that uh, that Jesus finished it all in his first coming. 
The work is not complete. He only covered over sin in his first coming. In his second coming, he comes to remove sin, though, right? Because we still sin. So our sins are covered. So God looks at us and he sees Christ, right? But we still sin. And so the issue is, um, well, in his second coming, he's actually coming to remove that fully from us so that we no longer sin anymore. So that work isn't done yet, okay? Um, without a second coming, he would not be able to receive the birthright of Joseph. And so Jesus Christ has to, um, he has to come back, right? So back to the dominion mandate, Jesus' first appearance was from the tribe of Judah, right? And now he lawfully has all authority and power in heaven and on earth, right? And so all kings will serve him, not unwillingly and not by force. They will gladly serve him because they will see um, how amazing he is. And he would never advocate the use of force to compel anyone to worship or bow down before him. Instead, he has cho chosen, he has chosen to earn their love and respect by demonstrating the love of God and the respect of God to all. So in Psalm 67, verse four and five, it says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy for thou will judge the peoples with righteousness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. This doesn't seem like uh, two or three people off the side being angry at him. It doesn't seem like, oh, you know, it doesn't seem like that. You guys understand this? So, um, isn't that a beautiful thing that, that Christ would want to earn our love? Isn't that amazing that he would want to earn our respect, our love, and our allegiance just by nature of how he demonstrates his love towards us? That is uh, incredible, guys. And that is why that uh, this prophecy in, in Psalms 67, 4 and 5 will, will be fulfilled. So um, history shows us that there's been many people who tried to take the throne away from Jesus. Um, Nimrod was the first major challenger, right? And there's many stories about Nimrod and all, a lot of the major, uh, gods and goddesses and stuff come from, um, you know, I wouldn't say come from the story of Nimrod, but like Nimrod has a bunch of different names by which people worship him. Um, but, uh, Nimrod wanted to be the Messiah guys. He wanted to be that ruler. Shem, um, left Nimrod's Babylonian kingdom, and he traveled west to the land of Canaan. And there he built a, a city, which he called uh, Salem, or Peace, or Jerusalem, City of Peace. Um, and he set up his throne there under the title of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. Do you guys know that Shem, Noah's son, was uh, Melchizedek? The one that Abraham went to, to receive a blessing? Did you guys know that he was a priest of God? Did you guys know that? Isn't that amazing and crazy? That he wasn't just some random figure, that it was actually Shem from the line of, uh, of, no of Noah? So crazy. So these two rival kingdoms, you have Shem's kingdom, uh, who has who called himself the priest of the Melchizedek, king of righteousness, um, and then you have uh, Nimrod's kingdom, right, uh, which is, it's archetype, it's an archetype, right, which shows the relationship between mystery Babylon and then the new Jerusalem. Um, later on, the dominion mandate was passed to King David, along with the promise that the Messiah would be one of his descendants. And then Absalom, David's son, tried to come and take that, 
and and then he obviously proved himself to be unworthy of the dominion mandate. A thousand years later, Jesus came of the lineage of David. He came to claim his throne. He was challenged also um, the same way that Absalom challenged David. And, of course, that was by the chief priest who um, who tried definitely uh, tried to kill him, killed him. And um, But even as David had a second coming and in which Absalom was disposed and killed, so also Jesus will have a second coming in which the usurpers will be destroyed and the counterfeit kingdom will be destroyed. Isn't this mind-boggling, guys? So when Jesus comes in his second coming, Christ will come as Joseph to reunite the birther and the scepter, the dominion mandate. The scepter is the thing that like, those like stick the those kings rule with. So at that time, when Jesus brings it all together, the kingdom of God will not only have a king, but it will also manifest uh, it'll also manifest the sons of God, the first fruits of creation, those people who qualify to rule with Christ because uh, their lives, uh, they've shown themselves to be overcomers. And so they will rule with Christ because they're the first fruits of creation. And these will be given immortality and incorruption in the first resurrection. Boom. Mind blown. Bro, this is, uh, un- it's it's amazing, guys, when we start to dig into history when we find out a little bit more about what the heck is going on we can connect the pieces a little bit better so blessing to you guys in peace from the father and i i hope that you guys got something out of this um a lot of study goes involved guys so make sure you study up let me know if you guys need anything um and uh i will see you in the next episode when we talk about the citizens of the kingdom